Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 102 of Real Blend, a podcast that's hosted by the three illegitimate sons of Mike Lowry. <laughs> Today, we are discussing Martin Scorsese's next film with two very familiar stars. Uh, the Gentleman is going to hit theaters this week, and so we're going to discuss uh, with a spoiler-free review. And then later on in the show, Bilal and Adil, the directors of Bad Boys for Life, hopped on the phone to join the Real Blend podcast and break down spoilers for Bad Boys for Life. So if you guys have not yet seen that movie, you might want to pause this, uh, go check it out, and then come right back. Before we get to Belial and Adal, I'm going to introduce my own Belial and Adal, Jake Hamilton and Kevin McCarthy of uh, Fox Affiliates Nationwide and also of the Real Blend Podcast. Hello, boys. How are you? My man. You know, Good uh, to see Sean, you. you just said this is episode 102. Didn't we just do 102 before the show started? We did, yes. it, we did, we did an entire show before the show started. Of just you Jake guys and I have no idea. Screaming yeah. at each other. Jake and I can were I, violently screaming I just want to say one thing. And then we're and then and then I just want to tease the audience with what we were screaming okay. about. Are you are you and really gonna? No, gonna I, 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 don't, I don't want to restart the conversation. I just want to give people a taste of what we were teasing about. And it okay. was Kevin comparing <laughs> Star Wars to Bad yes. Boys. Uh huh. Yes. And we started screaming, and that's all yep. I'm gonna say. Yes. Yeah, that's all. That's it. That, that's we fair. Can't Let's start leave it at the, that. We cannot reignite this because Gabe. I'm okay yes. with that comparison. Okay. All right. Now getting okay, into, okay. but first, yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Getting okay, into okay. the weekly poll, which is bad boys related. Dude. Um, so we do a, a weekly poll on the show. What? We, what? we just got off bad boys, man. Well, no, we're getting back onto it just temporarily. It is for um, life though. So it makes we sense. We asked, uh, you guys on the Twitter sphere, uh, playing along at, at real blend. What's the best bad boys movie. And, um, this is actually pretty surprising. Um, Number two, one with forty-eight point eight percent. Because it's the best. It's one. the best one. It's not. It the is best the best one. one. By place, far the best one. In, it's by in far. second Jake, place. I love you again. Forty-six point five percent. The first one. The third one only got four point seven percent. But okay, to be fair, we put that poll out pretty early. You could make the argument that some people just hadn't seen it yet and had maybe oh, okay. voted I, without having I get seen what you're it. Saying. Yeah. All right. I, that's fair. That that's poll fair. definitely went up. Like I think it was like that. Friday or something like that. Yeah. So if any votes would have happened for it, it would have been for maybe Thursday night movies. But it's interesting. But would anyone have I, really I, voted three though? Like, okay, now that people have seen it, I mean, like, who actually thinks well, three? One, is the best? three, two, one, three, two. Okay, but, but who, there were a, there were a couple of reviews, more than a couple, that said this is the best of the franchise, and I disagree. But there are people who think that. Yeah, and they're yes. wrong. I actually have a question for you, Sean, because I I, I wonder because I think Jake and I. I feel like a lot of people do like Bad Boys 2 over Bad Boys 1. I'm one of them. I know Jake's one of them. Do you think Bad Boys 1 is more your favorite because it's more like um, just that 90s style versus like... It's also more grounded. Yeah, I've always been curious your thoughts on it. I know we have to move on, but it is an interesting question because Bad Boys 2, there are a lot of people... They're two completely different movies. Yeah. Let me ask each of you guys one question. Which one did you see first? I saw two first. I saw one first, actually. Did you yeah, really? Because okay. of my sister. I, I, I saw a lot of movies because of my sister growing up, and we had a VHS copy of one, and she took me to go see two because of our I think that Because I think that will speak to yeah. the one you prefer. Jake, you're a little bit different if you did say you saw one first and you liked two better. I just I think, think one is tighter. I just mm. think it's a leaner story. It is. It moves quicker. Two has some great elements to it. I just find it to be pretty bloated. I, I like the the bayhem, as they call it. I like, I like yeah. the ridiculous nature. Of, I mean, and, and I, I watch it realizing— a lot of it is incredibly ridiculous, but I like that. 
grounded is an interesting word to use because it, it is interesting because when I look back on these films, two is the one that comes to mind and because of a lot of things. That circular uh, action sequence in the shootout uh, as the camera goes through the windows, the sequence with Reggie at the door with Martin Lawrence and Will Smith when the guy comes over to take out his daughter, uh, Martin Lawrence's daughter. I mean, I just think two has so many more classic scenes, but I find it interesting that somebody who likes one, it's almost, to me, and I know Jake doesn't agree with me on this, uh, Sean, but I, I saw Die Hard 3 before I saw Die Hard 1 and 2, and 3 always holds a special place in my heart because I like sure. I like the Sam three, Jackson. Die Hard 3 Bruce is Willis. great. It's great. Um, but <laughs> I, yes, I, yes. But I, Jake, let me it, ask you this. Would it's you, not a good Die Hard movie. Well, it wasn't written as a Die Hard movie. It, yeah, yeah, that's true. If you're home on a Saturday night and yeah. you're looking for a, a, a movie to watch, would you put on one or three? Die Hard? Yeah. I put on three. I, I think I, no, I got to put on one, it. dude. I got to put, put on one. Yeah. one. Yeah. But, let me, I mean, but let me tell you this. I either, either somewhere between like and love the first four Die Hard movies. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I there is only, and really? this is a pretty good statistic, there is only one bad, legitimately bad Die Hard movie. And that's pretty okay. damn impressive. But that one is so significantly bad. But but you know what? Here's why I will defend that one. It gave myself and Kevin an opportunity to interview Bruce Willis for a Die Hard movie. And that was pretty sweet. Thanks a lot. Thanks for rubbing that in my face. Appreciate that. No. That that one dream opportunity that I did not get to do. But but would it have bothered you that it would have been for that film? Uh, Probably. You know what I would have liked to have done even more is that home video opportunity that they did yeah, uh, at the Nakatomi, Nakatomi yeah. Plaza. Is that, yeah, that's when Eric Eisenberg was crawling through the uh, the 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 vents right cool of that picture. of the building. Okay, not to tear down a little Hollywood magic because I also saw those photos. So for people who'd have no idea what we're talking about, they did a uh, Die Hard uh, anniversary event at the Fox building, which is essentially Nakatomi Plaza. Right, and they did an amazing job. They had an outdoor screening. Uh, of the movie in the evening. You got to interview Bonnie Bedelia and Reginald Vell Johnson. Uh, of course, Bruce was not coming back. John McTiernan is not coming back. But they set up things around the building in places where they shot um, key scenes from the movie. And so, like, they went above and beyond. Like, there was a bathroom on one of the floors where they shot, and, and they mimicked bloody footprints coming out of the bathroom. Were the interiors were from there. the film shot in that building as well, or is it just used a for exteriors? A good number of them really? were. No, a good number of them Even were. The they had stuff? access to a... Uh, yeah, they had access to a bunch of floors that were closed down for construction. Um, and then uh, there was like everything from like five to 20 something were being occupied by um, corporations. And the rooftop, the top uh, floors were open for them to shoot and the bottom floors were open wow. to shoot. Which is why when they go down to shoot the uh, missile at the car, they can do they do it from like the third floor because they, that was one of the floors that they had access to. Um, watch that Netflix show, yeah, Movies That Made Us. They, they do teach you a lot about that. So anyway, long story short, uh, they did not get into the vents, Kevin. It was just like a square um, that had like, like a kneeling pad. I honestly, yeah, figured, had a kneeling I honestly pad. figured that was, and that was probably cool. the case for Bruce as well, right? Like I highly doubt Bruce got into a vent. Right. I would imagine. Yeah, I would imagine. It does take don't, me out of the Don't element, take though. this do away from Eric Eisenberg, and, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> to make me feel better. I'm deflating it a little bit. All right. So most of you think that Bad Boys 2 uh, is better than Bad Boys 1 and 3. A lot of you love Bad Boys 1, but I'll tell you two guys who absolutely adore uh, parts 1 and 2, and that's uh, director, directors, co-directors, Bilal and Adil. Uh, I like that they call themselves A and B. It's an A and B film. Um, these guys directed Bad Boys for Life. They are junkies uh, for the Bad Boys franchise. They're junkies for the 80s, 90s, Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson type films. 
They were the natural selection to do Bad Boys for Life. They're on the hook, uh, theoretically, to do Beverly Hills Cop 4, which I think is really interesting. They're going to talk about this in our interview with them. Kevin, you want to throw something in? I just want to mention before you listen to this interview that these guys were seven and nine years old when the first Bad Boys came out. I mean, and, and, and that is truly incredible to me because... For me, as somebody who's a fan of this franchise, for two young directors, this is their this is their first major feature. They've done like other feature films before, but like very. Can you imagine being handed a ninety million dollar project to make a movie about a franchise you already love and you actually do a good job with it? I mean, whether you like the film or love the film, I think most people would say it's still a, a pretty solid bad. If you guys could be everyone, handed any franchise and a hundred million dollars yeah. in total, like like hypothetically, like, let, let's say like you could steer the direction of any franchise and go like, hey, what would it be? I don't know. I don't know that I. Now, where would I be? In my see, what what's interesting about that question? And that's this, a great question. But it's, it's a great inter- question. What's interesting about the question because it is a great question is. Where would I be in my path of it as a director? Because these two guys have never made a major feature Hollywood film. Um, they have done like they did shorts and they had some feature films that weren't big. Do I would almost be like nervous to not ruin a franchise. Right. Well, like, like, to, to, like to your point, I would not choose Star Wars because like I wouldn't want to be responsible for where and I wouldn't yeah. want to be on the receiving end of, of, of the capacity of meanness. I know Star Wars fans well, have. Or, I would you, almost or you become like dr- Ryan Johnson and you make Knives Out afterwards. Knives Out was apparently a, a reaction yeah. to that. I, I would almost want like a Jurassic Park because I feel like I could make a really fun Jurassic Park and veer away from the stupidity of, of, well, of what they've done. Lately. I mean, if the parameters of this game mean that you can make the movie whenever you wanted to, like I would I would love to take over the Lethal Weapon franchise when those guys were in their prime. Yeah. yeah. But, you wouldn't want Die Hard? No, I wouldn't want to touch that. I mean, I just would, I'd be too afraid that I'd mess it up. Well, that's the thing. Is like, But I can play the, in the Lethal Weapon, weapon sandbox. That's, yeah, that's interesting. But that's yeah. the point that, that, that where it comes an interesting question, because it, it, it's a matter of could you even handle it as a fan? And that's Kevin, that's, could you make a Terminator movie with No, Arnold? I could not. <laughs> well, that's, well, that's what that's, I'm saying. So then so you have to yeah. find that level of of, of intense yeah. fandom, but yeah. not so much that you're afraid to mess it up where you just think, oh, it'll yeah. be fun to play in that sandbox like a lethal weapon or for me would be Jurassic Park. Yeah. I think it would be cool. Yeah. To, I, just to your point, the sandbox is the perfect metaphor. Just getting in a sandbox with a bunch of dinosaurs like you. You know, you'd, you'd like to think you can't mess that up, but we've seen that people can. But I, I'd like to think that <laughs> I couldn't mess that up, but I, but I wouldn't want to do Star Wars. If I yeah. could be on a set and directing, like, like characters yeah. that would be beloved to me, it would be— it, I think Tim Miller kind of had one of the best uh, moments ever to have Arnold and, and Linda Hamilton on a set together— mm. I could not imagine what that must have been like to direct those two. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's why I want people to understand how young these guys are because we're getting ready to toss to a deal in Bilal. And you have to understand that, they, like I said, seven and nine years old when the first Bad Boys came out. Imagine taking on this project. You're also responsible for giving Will Smith, besides Aladdin, his first big hit in a long time. Uh, I don't even... Oh, no, Suicide Squad did, did a... Did very well for yeah, him, didn't but it? it was destroyed, <laughs> yeah. like, critically. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. That's interesting, because it made a lot he, of money. He's in a weird place in his career where, like, yeah. his movies are doing well, but not being received well. So that's, yeah. I mean, I don't really know. Is he is he back? It doesn't feel like, he, I guess he's back, but, like, this is the first movie he's done that's been well-received, really. Yeah. So, I mean, these guys are, yeah, these guys are amazing. I just wanted to give them props, because they're young guys. They're my age. They're Jake's age. Like, like it, it, it's kind of crazy. How young Not Sean's guys. age. Yeah. Well, no, they are ten years younger than you, Sean. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being 
That, they are. Yeah, they are. Ten you years. guys got some great scoops in this interview. <laughs> we did. So let's get to it. And real quick, before we throw to this interview, I want to remind everybody that this is a spoiler filled conversation. So if you have not seen the movie, this is your last chance to get out because we're going to talk about plot details, a couple of the major twists, and we're going to get some really great feedback from Bilal and Adil. So without further ado, our interview with the directors of Bad Boys for Life. All right, naturally, we are thrilled to be joined with the directors of Bad Boys for Life. You guys were listening to us last week on the podcast raving about this movie. We're so excited to be joined by Bilal and Adil. Can you guys just give a shout out? Let us know which one's Bilal and who's Adil so our uh, listeners know the voices. Yo, what's up? This is Adil. And this is Bilal. And we're the directors of Bad Bad Boys Boys for for Life. Life. (laughs) Congratulations, guys. It's so good to have you on with us. You're here with uh, Kevin and Sean. And uh, we just want to start off right off the bat by letting you guys uh, take a victory lap because we're he- hearing that, you know, projections for the film opening weekend uh, at the box office were 38 million. You guys instead decided to mess around and post 73.4 million. Uh, what's your reaction to just the, the, the fans coming out and supporting the movie? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's unbelievable. It's uh, it's really crazy because we were stressing like uh, like for for days and days on end that we you know we w- would have the thirty eight million mark just to be able to come back to Hollywood to make a movie. So this is just nuts. Yeah, this is uh, this is a true blessing, and we're super grateful. You know, I actually spoke, awesome guys. I, I spoke to both of you guys at the premiere, and just kind of going off what Sean just said about the box office. Um, one of the big things that you know people were talking about was possibly a Beverly Hills Cop. Four and now we're seeing Bad Boys Four has been uh, out there as well in, in, in talks. Uh, now that your movie has made as much money as it did in its opening weekend, clearly uh, you have a choice now to uh, make whatever film you want to do next. Um, do, do you want to go in the route of a Bad Boys Four, or do you guys want to go in more of a route of a Beverly Hills Cop Four? I mean, I know that's kind of up in the air. Where are you guys leaning towards? Well, that, if we had to choose between both of them, that would be a very difficult choice. So the Luckily, Jared Bruckheimer's producing both of the movies, so, so let him choose. <laughs> yeah, so he, he, he should have to choose. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah. We, we we love we love the ba- we love Mike and, and Mark, isn't it? We love uh, all the characters, so we're ready to make Bad Boys Four. At the same time, we also like gigantic fans of, of uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Eddie Murphy, of course. So it's it's, uh, uh, it's a dilemma. <laughs> we, we, got, we gotta do both. We gotta we gotta, yeah, we gotta make both. both. <laughs> I gotta ask: Are you guys expecting to come back for Bad Boys Four? Well, the, that, the, 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 we, we saw the news on the internet like everybody, so... <laughs> didn't call us yet, but, so. uh, but I hope that we get the chance to do that because, you know, um, we, we, we really love this franchise. We loved our, uh, you know, our relationship with Will, with Will and Martin, so we're ready to do it. Is there is there sort of a is there sort of a, a interesting angle there that when when a movie does well like this and it is received as well as it was I mean Sean and I'll both tell you before we get into our line of questioning that we kind of prepared for today we are both massive Bad Boys fans and Bad Boys one and two just like you guys are big fans of it as well watching three was was just kind of it, it was so amazing because it put us back in that feeling that we had as fans of Bad Boys one and two you know now that you have a successful film and it's done this well, is there a part of you that goes, all right, maybe we leave Bad Boys alone and then take on Coming to America? I mean, is that, is that a thought process you might have? 
Yeah, you mean yeah, Beverly Hills Cop because they're already doing Coming to America. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, well, for for us, um, we we were we would have been happy if it just well, it was the last movie, you know, if it was just the last of the Bad Boys movie because it was considered like a like an homage and 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 you had this nostalgia of the movies of the '90s and 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 the two Bad Boys. But uh, at the same time, while we were making the movie, you know, we start fantasizing about it. Hey, what if what if we would do a fourth movie? You know, maybe there's one more story left uh, with these two guys uh, the only thing is that we would we would have to do it really quickly and it should it should be like also a great story uh, otherwise it's not worth it and at the same time we always wanted to do Beverly Hills Cop 4 and and Eddie Murphy is just you know he's a genius he's the Don he's the he's Godfather, the Godfather. You know? and uh, and you know we did this homage to to the 90s with Bad Boys so it would be cool to do the homage to the to the 80s with uh, with Beverly Hills Cop All right, two-part question, then I promise we're going to get right back into Bad Boys for Life, guys, which we're so excited to break down with you. But um, one, when you are including um, a mid-credits scene that's definitely setting up where the story is going to go, how do you decide what you're actually going to reveal in that scene? Like, who makes the decision of, all right, here's what it's going to be, and this is what we're going to set up? And then I want you to also answer... The minute we heard the title, the official title for Bad Boys 3, like, for the longest time we were talking about Bad Boys 3, Bad Boys 3... You guys call it Bad Boys for Life, and the immediate reaction was, "Well, why didn't they save that one for Part Four? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, the the thing is, like, you know, that that mid credit scene that was like the last thing to be added uh, to to the movie. You know, it was it, like uh, in and out the whole time. Yeah, like about I think 20 times we put it in, put it out, and nobody really knew what to do with it. You know, no, there was it was a difficult decision because the studio, Will, Jerry, you know, the other producers, we were all, you know debating and doubting if we had to put it back in and and the test audiences basically it's the test audience that tell, yeah. told us that they needed something you know when we showed it without it so it's basically them that they needed some some extra stuff and so maybe you know hinting towards another another movie so that's why we we you know by the audience reaction that's why we put it in at the very very last moment you know one of the things that we love about these movies are the recurring themes and the recurring characters that show up throughout I mean I, I, I could go as deep as some of the references you made in the movie to, to even the rats from Bad Boys 2 you have a little shot of Rats and Bad Boys 3. Uh, I just like the, the, the little details. Um, one of the things that I was, my wife and I were sitting there watching the movie together, and we loved obviously the romance with uh, Will Smith's character and Gabrielle Union's character in Bad Boys 2, and that Bad Boys 2 really kind of ended on them being together. Uh, and then Gabrielle Union's character is mentioned as, you know, Martin Lawrence's character's sister in this movie. Um, was Gabrielle Union ever a part of this story? Is there a reason why she didn't come back? And if she had come back, did you have a storyline written for her? Well, there was there was a moment that we had really like we really wanted to put her in the movie. So we had talks and we talked with the screenwriters, with the producers. We were thinking how we can we incorporate her in the movie. But eventually, uh, it, it, we had to focus on the storyline that we had. So it was uh, yeah. At the end of the day, it was like impossible to really put her in, not feeling unnatural. Yeah, it would it would have been the it would have been just merely a cameo and and that would have been sad to to do a cameo and then maybe cut it out when we have to do cut it down for time and stuff like that so it's something something we'd love to explore if there's a fourth movie we'd love to explore that for sure because i think it's an interesting storyline at the same time just to answer the other question about bad boys for life well we were not sure that you know nobody was actually sure there would be a fourth bad boys so, yeah so if considering the fact that we all 
thought this would be the last movie. That's why Bad Boys for Life was appropriate. But now that it, it is a success, now yeah. it's like, ah, shit, it should have been called Bad Boys 3. So, so, <laughs> so, so maybe we can't so, go so, back. So now how are we going to call Bad Boys 4? Maybe right? we change the title to Bad Boys 3 and then Bad Boys for Life is the fourth movie. That never happened. We, I mean, it's like Star Wars. It became a new hope. They changed the title anyway, so we can't do that. <laughs> or, or you just recall it Bad Boys for Life and just put the number four instead of four. Just call it Bad Boys for Life. Yeah. And when, That's a good idea. And when, oh, they, maybe. and when they say one last time, they say one last last time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bad, <laughs> no, or, or, yeah. bad boys for life, for real now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit just got real. Shit finally got real. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> Shit got real, really. Um, all right, so I was following along on social media this whole uh, weekend, uh, celebrating the fact that the movie's doing as well as it does. I see that Joe Carnahan puts up something on his uh, Twitter feed that's totally uh, intriguing to me about wanting to share a previs for what he called a a, bri- a big expressway chase um, and talked about how, you know, the budget just didn't allow for it. Um, but it, you guys took the time to map it out. I'm real curious about what some of the details about that were and where it might have fit into the movie. Yeah, well, you know, the, the big highway chase scene, there's a version of that in the movie. And this is one of the first thing they showed us. Basically, when, when we got the job of, of Beverly Hills Cop 4, uh, you know, it was in 2016, we, we got that job back then. We thought we were going to shoot it like in a couple of months. And they said, you're going to previous the movie. It was like, oh, cool. What is a previous? And then they showed that. They showed the previous of, of the Joe Carnahan version of that chase sequence. And it was so cool. Yeah, we were thinking like, oh, shit, that's cool. Yeah, so a couple of years later, when we got the chance to make the movie that that uh, version of that scene was still in the script and then we said can you give us the previous of joe carnahan because this was next level you know and and then we said okay we want to do exactly what he did in his version and then they said there's no the, the, there's no money for that so yeah this, uh, we had to find solutions <laughs> yeah. but still keep that spirit that he had in his previous yeah so. but, but try to keep it you yeah. know tone it down and budget wise and all of that but mm. yeah i mean it was, a big it was, shout out to joe carnahan yeah you know, Sean and I were geeking out earlier because we were talking about the Michael Bay cameo, and Sean and I were discussing like ideas of like how that came about. And we saw that we—you've spoken about it briefly, where um, he was very limited on time. He was shooting Six Underground, uh, and and Sean was just basically talking about this idea that like you know it was so cool how you guys shot that scene to make it look like a like you know an homage to Michael Bay. What were there ever any other ideas for that cameo? Did you ever have an idea to to, to have him as part of an explosion or something? Like like that Was there other ideas That Michael Bay Was going to be a part of Or was that just That just come about Because of his time constraints yeah, there were, you know, there were a couple of ideas in the, in, in the movie itself. We, we were looking for a cameo, you know, was a, a part that he played. Maybe it was a guy that was going to get killed in the movie. Or there are two places where we, we play ourselves in the, in the movie, you know. Yeah. So Bilal is hitting on, on Rita and, uh, and me, I, my car is getting stolen by Will. So both of these scenes, there was options for Michael Bay. But in the end, you know, there was the MC moment. And that was like the... Yeah, it was also schedule-wise moment. So we were thinking like, uh, how can we fit it? How can we make it? And then we had the idea of the the MC. Yeah. So and then, then we were thinking, okay, we got to make a real Michael Bay shot. So yeah. the camera goes 360 <laughs> around and, him. And he turns counterclockwise. Yeah. 
clockwise yeah, with the so shot. it's a real Michael Bay moment with uh, Michael Bay with Michael Bay and he directed it himself yeah. so we just we, we just were like watching yeah, him so direct this, his own shot the shot he did he directed that scene I thought I thought he might have directed that scene yeah <laughs> for sure of course when Michael Bay is there on set he just explains the steady camera how to do it and he knows how to turn we didn't, we didn't tell him anything so a, I think it was a one taker yeah it was a one taker this shot will be studied in film school because it's super meta but at the same time he was a little bit nervous <laughs> about his text so he came did I did it did, were my uh, lines right and we said yeah yeah it was perfect <laughs> that's amazing you guys know, yeah has he seen the movie do you guys know if he's seen the finished movie I don't, I don't no, think not, so no we didn't but he asked Jerry uh, how, how did it go so yeah And Jerry said, yeah, it's going well. So that's the only thing we heard from yeah. what, what he thinks about the movie. So the, the day that we did that shot, that was actually... Oh, the, my God. Yeah, so the day we did that shot, that was the first time we actually met him. And, uh, and he only gave us one piece of advice. And then we saw him after the shoot, and then he was telling all these stories yeah. about Bad Boys 1 and 2. Yeah, and and the, the advice he said was, uh, don't fuck up my baby. <laughs> If you don't mind just asking, because you just said he told you stories about Bad Boys 1 and 2, was there, is there a specific story that he told you about from either 1 or 2 that just kind of blew your mind, something that kind of helped you um, direct this film a little differently? I mean, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of stories out there, but what's something that like he told you that really kind of like blew you away? Well, you know, he was talking about, the, especially the first movie, which was his first movie, and they didn't want him to give him the money for a big-ass explosion. You know, the studio didn't want to do that. <laughs> it was like fuck that I'm leaving or I'm paying for it myself you know and uh, and he eventually he did it he paid for it himself and um, and also you know without without telling the studio and also he told the story of, of Will and Martin you know Will had to say a lie like I think I love you man I love you and man. Will didn't want to say it at all and it was like you know the sun was going down and he just went to Will who like hours and hours didn't want to say that line and he just said you know that 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 orange dot there that orange dot is gonna go down and when he's Goes, it goes down it, You'll get fucked So you do whatever The fuck you want <laughs> And then On the last take When the sun Was just setting down Will said I love you man <laughs> That's, That's awesome. amazing And we were like That's Yeah so we, we understand yeah. you <laughs> Um, I got to ask about a change, too, that I caught in going back and rewatching some of the trailers. I love watching trailers after I've seen the finished movie. And there's, you know, you, you look at how different lines are read or different scenes are cut. And there's a there's a drastic change that you guys have in the opening chase or the opening uh, scene where Will's trying to get Martin to the hospital in time. And you shot it looked like you shot scenes of a car going through a mall, which instead becomes a car on a beach What happened with the mall and why did you guys make that change? Well, let's say that, you know, when we did our version, the first, the, you know, the first director's cut, you could say it was overly long and it, the action scenes were also overly long. So yeah. it, because we went, we went full Bayham, you know, we thought yeah. he's a sequel to a Michael Bay movie. We got to go local. Yeah, yeah. We, we, there, there was so much other <laughs> yes. action going on. Like they, yeah. they were going over bridge, turning, and, turning back. And, you know, when they're driving back, it was much longer and then they go through a mall. Yeah. And, and Jerry basically. Jerry and Will and the studio they always you know, kept saying cut the action down make it shorter make it shorter and, focus and, on the character yeah and eventually the mall was like the last thing to get killed and we're like come on man he's driving through a mall <laughs> and they didn't want that so that's like one of the things where you know it didn't survive sadly but if they, one day there's like an extended cut the mall's back in 
Yeah. You know, you know, That's since awesome. since the movie since the movie is out now, and you know, this interview is we're we're talking uh, a bit of spoilers. I mean, the the you're talking about that twist with Will Smith's son is such an interesting thing. And I I, I went back and rewatched Bad Boys One and Bad Boys Two after I saw Bad Boys Three again, and I gotta tell you right now that twist for some reason works perfectly in explaining how Mike Lowry is who Mike Lowry is in one and two. So Sean and I were discussing earlier about this. Was there something in one and two that, that made that decision or was it the other way around where you, you came up with the twist and you were like, okay, does it fit into one and two somehow? Because it does kind of work weirdly enough. Yeah, well, when we were ex- exploring the, the, the screenplay with, with Will and the producer in the studio, it was, you know, we were talking a lot about the myth of Mike Lowry, you know, you know, of course, his backstory with his parents, but we were thinking all the time, okay, why is he, why is he this way? Why mm-hmm. is he like that? And that's why, uh, you know, that twist came from, from that character, from, from, from Mike Lowry's past, from Mike Lowry's attitude, and, and, uh, and it just, it seems to fit right in. And of course, it's a twist that is pretty out there but at the same time when we read the script we had a feeling that that it it's some kind of, yeah it somehow it made sense to that character and to to Mike Lowry's arc so so it it blended together really nicely we thought i had, i i'm really curious about um how much you guys had to fight with the studio because there are a, a number of really major surprises that that caught me off guard in watching this movie and again as a as a huge fan of the first two um, you go into this one almost expecting you, you, you kind of think, you know what to expect. Um, and again, we're in spoiler territory. You know, this is coming out the week after the movie's out and you guys, uh, it did so well over that weekend, but you, you have a movie that, that takes Mike Lowry out pretty early on, you know, like that, that scene shocked me. And I'm just curious when you brought those ideas to, to Will and to the studio, you know, or also something later, like, you know, the killing of Joe Pantoliano. Like, these are major things that that I would think that the franchise would be really cautious about not letting you guys do. And yet they seem to allow you to take some really big swings. No, yeah. well, that was when we received the script. Those moments were in the script. And that's also the reason why we were like, oh, this is this is uh, really Bad Boys for, for Life, the ultimate version. So that really drawed our attention. And we were like, this is... Uh, I'm, I'm, as a fan, I know people will be shocked and yeah. s- to see this. Well, the thing is that that it, the, the surprisingly for us, you know, they were already a present a, a version of that in the script. And and for when we got the script for the first time, you have a certain expectation of how a bad boys movie will be. And the fact that we were surprised by these moments, sometimes shocked by these moments, that's what interested us and attracted us to the project. So so basically, the studio and the producers and Will were already on the same page to to do something that is pretty different from the first two movies and that just corresponded to our style and the, the movies that we did in Belgium. Um, I know this is a complete coincidence, but I just wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on this. Did, did you guys see the movie? Did you guys see Gemini Man with Will Smith last year? Yes. Yeah. The same producer. I have a question. This is, this is something I found interesting. So I was watching the Gemini Man last night. In Gemini Man, there's a sequence where he fights himself on a, you know, the younger version of himself is on a motorcycle and he's fighting the older Will Smith. And then he gets on a plane with Mary Elizabeth Winstead and the Mary Elizabeth Winstead basically says, hey, uh, do you know if you maybe had a son at some point? You don't know about it. And then she goes, and then she goes, um, there was a guy on the bike who looked just like you. I mean, again, complete coincidence 
But did you guys at all tie that together, that the, those were similar kind of themes in regards to him being chased on a bike by somebody who might have been his son? Well, the tricky thing was that while we were shooting uh, Bad Boys, they were editing uh, Gemini Man. And it was the uh, same producer, same star. And sometimes we would come up with an idea of a shot or a scene. And then the you know, producer would tell us, oh, you cannot do that because we have exactly the same thing in Gemini Man. So we were sometimes worried <laughs> that it was similar because we said, don't you think we should like watch a version of the movie so we know how to make it different so um yeah you would, so that was like we were stressing a little bit there were too much similarities and of course i mean gemini man is an entirely different movie but while we were in the theater watching it sometimes sometimes we were like like a little bit pissed off that it looked a bit too much at the same time it's, it's such a different kind of movie that, that i think it will be hide but yeah i mean there there are some similarities yeah <laughs> well, let me let me let me let me tell you this. Bad Boys Three is an amazing movie, and we we love it. And I just thought it was a funny coincidence. I knew there was no uh, indication of it being similar. It just it was just a funny coincidence that I found when I was watching it yesterday. But uh, yeah. All right, I got to bring up the fact uh, that another character that came back that as I'm watching this as a diehard fan of the first two yes. films, just loving what you guys are doing. We get to Reggie being introduced, yes. you know, being brought back into the movie. And it's <laughs> the not best only that cameo ever. <laughs> you guys actually go through the process, I think it's deliberate, where you frame him in the way that it mirrors him showing up for the date. Yeah. Right? When he's coming to take uh, Marcus's daughter out. It, it's it's framed the exact same way. Talk to me about just getting him to come back, getting the same actor to play Reggie, uh, and then of course going that extra mile to sort of frame it as a reference to Bad Boys 2. Yeah, so uh, actually Megan is also, the real Megan is also there. It's, it's the real Megan of the second movie. Yeah. Yeah, so how did, how did you start, uh, how did you find Reggie? Yeah, well, so we really wanted to have the real Reggie, the real Megan. So we were telling the casting uh, director we want the same guy. <laughs> so they did a whole search on the internet and finally found him. Yeah, on social media. <laughs> it was just, he just was crossing the whole social media world, you know, Facebook, uh, Twitter, wow. Instagram, trying to find him. And we were, you know, and also the same for Megan, you know, Bianca Betun, who plays Megan. And we were, we were hoping that they both looked good because you never know, you know, it's been 17 years. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, thank God. And the day we saw Reggie, we were like he didn't change the hair no he fine his name is Dennis and, and he found us you know and, and also Megan reached out to us you know Bianca reached out to us uh, via Instagram and they looked good and they were acting so so uh, that's how we that's how we finally found them and cast them and also on set we had on our phones uh, screenshots of the second movie and we just told our DOP and, and the actors and we want exactly the same blocking and the same shot and the same lens yeah, that was awesome. That 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 was the part that made me the happiest because as a fan of these movies, and, and I know we, we have to let you guys go in a second, so I'm going to ask you one more question, but I do want to say something to you guys because, like, it's funny when you watch back that Reggie sequence in Bad Boys 2 and they say he looks 30 and now he actually is 30-something, which is just really the... The full, the full scope of that is so great. Um, I want to give you guys credit, and I, I know we're interviewing you guys, and I don't, I'm not saying this because we're talking to you guys, but you guys did a really, really damn good job with action in this movie. I mean, it, it was, it, it's so, it looks so good, and there's a point in this film where they're both on that motorcycle uh, 
concoction where they're both side by side and you know Martin has that awesome gun and that, that whole sequence is just incredibly 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 well shot um, to a point where I actually stopped for a second I was like wait a second why does this look so good it's some of the best VFX and visual effects and blending together of stunts and actors that I've seen in a long time Can you talk briefly about how you shot that scene how you made it look so great because we the whole time I'm thinking to myself that is actually Mike and Marcus in that sequence that is Will and Martin doing that how did did you take special care in editing that scene and making it look so so great well for us you know because it was an homage to the movies of the 90s we wanted to try to do a sequence that they would have done really in, in, in the 90s so talking with our DP who is also a Belgian guy Robrecht Havart who did all our Belgian you know like student shorts and all our Belgian features we were like analyzing a lot of, uh, of action sequences like Lethal Weapon Die Hard and that's the sort of feeling that we wanted to do and, and make the that sequence as grounded as possible so obviously there is some CGI we cannot avoid it at all but but uh, but we we tried to reduce it to the strict minimum and we wanted to include um, the actors as much as possible in the real environment so we really had them on that motorcycle driving mm. through through the streets and the tricky part was we had we, we shot it in Atlanta in the winter time and we had to make it look like Miami in the summertime so we told Will and Martin uh, you got to be on a motorcycle in the middle of the night in like super cold <laughs> yeah so <laughs> and play as if it's like the warm. hottest summer in Miami so yeah and and but, yeah, thank <laughs> thank God for neon so, and uh, and for us it was also important to to have like a you know that that you understand what is happening that you, you that that it's yeah you that the action is not too choppy but still exciting and and in this case also less is more because we had much much more gags than you see in it but it it was all about the characters and um, and yeah it, it just yeah, uh, and, and it felt like you know the whole scene was based on for us it comes from the character is this Marcus is breaking his promise to God so yeah. that was like the yeah. that makes the sequence so yeah. memorable but having like a lot of practical yeah. stunts like the helicopter and, it's all and a real helicopter yeah. it's real explosions so it's real stuntmen so wherever we could go practical that's where we did and, and the visual style of Michael Bay of the 90s and Otto Tony Scott of the 90s, that's what, uh, what, uh, what was our inspiration for, for that sequence. Well, as Bad Boys fans, Sean and I want to thank you. I'll let Sean say the final goodbyes, but I just want to thank you as somebody who's been watching these movies all my life for making a movie that was an incredible film that really kind of brought together a great trilogy, and I really I can't wait to see what you guys do next. So thank you guys for making a great Bad Boys movie. Absolutely. Yeah, guys, that's what it is. That's what it is, is that we were, we're such huge fans of the franchise. We were always a little bit nervous, you know, when you're hearing that they're going to come back, and especially as more time passes, because it's just hard to do an action film when you're aging, you know, when your stars are aging, essentially, and you want it to be as good as the first two and you want it to live up to the legacy of the franchise. And I think what Kevin and I were so blown away by is just how much it feels like uh, it fits so naturally, you know, next to uh, the Michael Bay Bad Boys films. And congratulations to you guys. Thank no, you very much. Big, Appreciate big it. love, man. Big love. It. Thanks a lot, brothers. Thank you so much for coming on the Real Blend podcast, guys. We'll get you guys back when you uh, when you confirm for Bad Boys Four. <laughs> Bad Boys Four, the number four. Yeah, Bad Boys Four for life, forever. Bad Boys Forever, forever. That's that's the title. For real this time. Bad Boys Forever. That's the title. Exactly. <laughs> we got, there we go. We got Plan B. <laughs> <laughs>
Obviously, we have to thank our good friends over at Sony Pictures for getting those guys on the phone with us. It's kind of crazy. They were in Amsterdam, uh, so they agreed to do an interview in the evening uh, at that time. We jumped on normal time with us. We were just so excited to get them. We were thrilled that the movie was doing well. Uh, over its opening weekend. Obviously, uh, you know, Kevin and I were gushing about it. Jake likes it too. Uh, but we just wanted to get some insight into how they put that film together. Yeah, and I, I was actually interested to ask you guys this before we moved on. Um, in that interview, uh, they basically are, at, they have the world at their at their hands right now. They can either do Beverly Hills Cop 4 or Bad Boys 4. Um, what do you do? Okay, you're these two guys. Your movie just opened up to 74 million in four days. Projections were 38. Your movie crushed. It's liked by a lot of the audiences. I think the audience score is like over 95% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's huge. Um, so I'm curious, what do you do? Do you stay in your comfort zone and do four? Or do you go over to Beverly Hills Cop for Netflix? I think you go to Beverly Hills Cop. One, because there's a good chance that four probably isn't going to do as well as three. Three has the nostalgia aspect of like, oh my God, it's been a while since we've seen them. Like Force so, Awakens. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter like how well four does. It'll, it's probably going to be deemed at least a disappointment compared to three. With When you hop over to Netflix with Beverly Hills Cop 4, one, you know everyone's going to watch it. You get the opportunity to work with Eddie Murphy on an iconic franchise that he may not ever revisit, that we never thought he was going to revisit ever again. Um, the past few Beverly Hills Cops have not been particularly great, so you really only have one direction to go, and you're not held accountable to box office receipts. Well, that was yeah. a pretty damn good answer. I mean, it's not, I, 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 I think you just it. figured out there. Because there. it's funny because Sean and I were trying to come up with uh, titles for Bad Boys 4 because Sean had a great point. It should have been Bad interview. Boys 4 Life. That, well, yes. that's what we said. And, and that was the whole, yeah. the, they said it in the interview that they didn't know there was going to be a fourth one. So you're basically, I mean, think about the, the whole marketing for the movie. One Last Ride. It was like, it was the, it was the third and final Bad Boys. It reminds Boys. me of uh, uh, Ben Stiller at the beginning of Tropic Thunder. And he's like, here we go again. <laughs> again. 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 <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right, talking points. Um, we have been obviously huge fans of The Irishman and uh, promoting it for you guys to go see it. The reteaming of Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro and claiming that, oh my God, this may never, ever happen again. Well, their next movie together <laughs> is coming out soon and is theoretically, is it going to Netflix? Do we know this for sure? This is um, De, uh, De Niro and Scorsese, but they're bringing along Scorsese's other uh, all-time favorite collaborator, Leonardo DiCaprio. And it was announced at an award show. But like, like, that's when he but, confirmed it. I mean, it was confirmed, but I, just, I, I thought they'd already right. said that it was going to happen. And, and I mean, Scorsese's almost, not quite, but almost in the ballpark of Tarantino where, like, his name gets attached to a lot of things that don't end yeah. up happening. There was, like, I'm actually really disappointed. His name was attached to direct... Um, a cinematic version of Devil in the White City, which uh, if, you, if you've yeah. never read yes. that, if you've never read that book, it's such a great book. I think yes. now he and DiCaprio are uh, executive producing it into a Hulu series, but I was I was so psyched about the idea of that. So um, I, I feel well, like you and I thought Hanks was involved in that also too for a little while as a as a star. I thought Tom Hanks was going to be one of the characters. Oh, that, that would have been amazing because it would have been the because I thought DiCaprio was going to play the killer, but it would be cool if we could have gotten yeah. a Hanks DiCaprio reunion. Hanks would have been the architect, yeah. I think. The guy oh my god! Okay, they were so good. So at this, if you can. So this one is called Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, it's based on a book by author David Gron. It's a true crime novel, and it's a it's called The Osage Murders. And the birth of the FBI, and it's essentially, um, you know, a, a period piece, which so going to allow playing Hoover again. <laughs> God, I hope not. Um, but we'll find out who their characters are. And I do know that when they interviewed uh, DiCaprio about uh, potentially teaming up with Scorsese for this a while ago, back before this was confirmed, he was asked point blank, like if Scorsese were to bring this to Netflix, 
uh, and and only give it a streaming run. Are you okay with that? And DiCaprio, being this guy who's so much more uh, of the time, said, look, I'm just all about making good stories. And if that's where it's going to go, then I'm okay with it. And and in, in fact, kind of defaulted to, if it's okay for Scorsese, you know, then I'm, good I'm fine going with it. A real good yeah, answer. Yeah, for sure, 100%. But, I mean, right now, we just don't know a whole heck of a lot about this uh, beyond the fact that they're going to start shooting it in the Midwest. I think they're shooting it in Oklahoma. And um, it's going to be Scorsese and Robert De Niro wow. reteaming for the first time since A Boy's Life wow. under the direction of Scorsese. But let me ask you guys this. You mean um, DiCaprio and De Niro, yeah. DiCaprio and De Niro, I, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Scorsese has said that The Irishman might potentially have been his last film. Um would that have been a better film to go out on? Or are you guys okay with him still making movies? What's the situation here? That's an interesting question because it's funny because I, I don't love The Irishman as much as you do, Sean. I mean, I, I love the film. It was in my top 10. Um, and, and it's interesting you asked that because I, I was going to ask each of you guys uh, if you think Netflix is going to start s- stopping spending all of that money on these films, when, especially something like Irishman. Where, right. they, where they gave him a ton of money to make this film, probably hoping that it would probably win Oscars. I, I mean, I would assume going into a project like that, it's Martin Scorsese, De Niro, Pacino, Al Pacino, you know, Pesci, and it's going to walk away at the Oscars this year, we think. I mean, if we predict it right or if we're looking at the award season so far with maybe nothing. Like, so I'm just curious, like, you mentioned, is this, this new movie that Scorsese is doing with DiCaprio and De Niro going to Netflix, does that affect it? Do you think that affects... The viewership that 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 Irishman had, which wasn't uh, maybe I don't know if it was up to scale what they wanted because they just did you guys. Oh, you know what, Jake, I thought about you today. Uh, I read an article about Netflix and they're changing the way they uh, rate and how people watch their how many people watch their shows. Originally, it was that 70 percentile yeah. thing where if you watch 70 percent, you've watched it. Now it's all about what you've chosen to watch. So they say The Witcher had the most watched uh, households. Of a season one show out of anything Netflix. But what was the what was the stat I saw about The Witcher that was like it's people who've watched at least two minutes. Yeah, because and the reason they're (laughs) I I don't know if it's the two minutes. I I specifically saw I I saw two the the phrase two minutes. It was like oh like it was like all these millions of people have watched at least two minutes. Two minutes. And I'm sorry, eight eight or hour long episodes. I agree with you. And and wait a second. Yeah. Think of it from a from a theatrical perspective. If you buy the ticket and walk into the theater for two minutes, you count. That Don't is you theoretically true. count. If you do you, leave halfway through, you're still paying for that ticket and you still gave it to the box office. That's actually an interesting point. Okay, now but if you were to add a price tag to The Witcher and said, okay, oh, yeah. like, like yeah. It's, to me it's apples and oranges because you're talking about something that people have paid for versus something that all people have to do is press a button. Right. Yeah. And, for and, sure. and the reason why we're going off on this tangent is because we're, we're discussing Netflix in general. And that's kind of where my question is going now is I from what I've understood in the in the readings I've done about Irishman, I don't think it did as well as anyone hoped. Do you guys agree with that? But Do I feel you, like I, they went into it with with unrealistic expectations. I mean, I feel yeah. like if that movie didn't win Best Picture, they were going to be disappointed. And that's a right. really I mean. People generally really liked it. It got 10 Oscar nominations. It 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 is considered one of Scorsese's best, but I yeah. feel like the, the like the fact that they did all of that and Netflix is still disappointed. Like you set yourself up for failure when you and make a movie to win best picture. 
And we're speculating here. I mean, I, I don't think Netflix has ever said that they wanted to make to win Best Picture. Yeah, like but you, they, they you, want you, Best you Picture. You have to big, think about way. it like that. But uh, I'll say one more thing about Netflix. I know we have to move on. You guys saw the Bradley Cooper news, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Bradley Cooper's next movie is going to be on Netflix. Uh, and that's the Leonard Bernstein uh, drama film about the guy who, uh, the composer for West Side Story, produced by Steven Spielberg, Todd Phillips, and Martin Scorsese. And that's going to Netflix. And I read it in the article, and this is the, the last question I'll pose to you guys about the Netflix thing, kind of wrapping it back around to, is Netflix the right place for Scorsese to go for this new movie? And in there, in that article, they made an interesting point. Would a Leonard Bernstein movie do well at the box office, or is that better for Netflix? And that's where, like, because if you release a movie on Netflix, you don't really take the box office hit, right? You don't, if, right. if your movie bombs... You don't yep. really, you don't really know it bombs. So like Bernstein, uh, or is it Bernstein or Bernstein? Um, but the the that's not a movie that I feel like would be a massive box office film. But you put Bradley Cooper in it, you put him in the starring role, and then you have those producers. You put it to Netflix. Is that the right place for it? So now I'm wondering if this movie you're mentioning, Sean, the Netflix movie that Scorsese's working on with De Niro and Cap- DiCaprio, do you think they go to theaters? Do you think they go to a different studio, or is it confirmed with Netflix? Uh, it's, and it's not confirmed okay. not yet. No. Uh, and another studio may swoop in and pick it up. But I, here's my point that I'll make about Netflix and the awards, um, race. They are theoretically in year two mm-hmm. of being a serious player. Um, and here's what they're probably learning after two years. It's really hard yeah. to win an Oscar. Yep. You know, I mean, there are a number of films that feel like they are in it, uh, every year. They are and a then, story. I mean, even from the majors, I'm saying. But also you know, keep in mind, from there's the, no other the, studio that we talk about in the Oscar season in terms of whether or not we're going to win. We talk about, is 1917 going to win? Not, is Universal going to win Best Picture? We talk oh, about, is Once Upon choice. a Time in Hollywood going to win? Not, is Sony going to Like, Netflix, and even, you know, and I'm guilty of this on air. A lot of times I'll refer to a movie, oh, guys, the new Netflix movie comes out this week. I never say that for any, maybe Pixar, maybe, but I never really say that. For any other yeah. studio, like so, so it's a double-edged sword where they get a lot of credit, but then they also, yeah. you know, with, with the credit comes the blame for not having that sort of success. Well, it's a backhanded label. It is a little bit of a backhanded label right. where we're saying theoretically, oh, it's the new Netflix film, and that almost doesn't it kind of couch it? Does it couch it, it a little bit of like you know? Do you don't have to take it I, as seriously? I say that on air, I say it in the in the sense of, hey guys, you get to watch this at home, right? But, and yet my top three films of the year had two Netflix films in them. Right. The Irishman at number one and Marriage Story at three. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I will say this because I, I, I do – I am curious how Scorsese felt about his Netflix experience. I, I just – I would love to know what his thoughts were on it. But when I saw Irishman in theaters, it was a much better experience than me watching at home. And I'll tell oh, you why. Far. When, when I watched Irishman at home, I could see the de-aging effects way, way more detail in, on my TV. And I know that eventually the movie would come out on Blu-ray and I would be able to see that anyways. But there was something about sitting in a theater that made that movie cinematic for me. And when I watched it at home, and I listen, I, I'm, I'm all for the Netflix model. I know people don't have theaters near them all over the world. I get that. I, I actually really like the Netflix model. I just find it interesting that Scorsese, one of the greatest the filmmakers of all time, um, would make a movie that big and that much of a return and put it on Netflix. And I'm not, I'm not lowering Netflix, but that is a cinematic event, those characters right. and those actors back together. And there was something about watching it at home, and I heard from so many people who did this. They turned it on, yeah. 
and then just stopped yeah, watching that, the it. The worst thing that Netflix has going for oh, it in terms of its yeah. movie release is the pause button. Like the fact oh that, 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 you know, mom, pa at home, you yeah. know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith at home have the ability to press pause is right. the absolute worst thing Netflix has. Like you should not be able to pause The Irishman. You shouldn't. It took, not the first time you people, see it. You shouldn't be able to pause it. It took people yep. days to watch Irishman. I talked to people who watched it in three yeah, days. Yeah, they'll watch eight episodes right. of you in a row, but but they can't get through three and a half hours of the of the Irishman. It blows my freaking mind. So that, well, that part of the yeah, yeah. part of the reason why Irishman is not doing quite so well uh, in terms of the awards race, and that as Kevin kind of astutely mentioned, it, it has ten nominations but could go home with zero wins, is that some of these other films are rising up in places where we pay attention to. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, takes uh, the Golden Globe for comedy. 1917 takes the Golden Globe for drama. And over the weekend, the SAG Awards came out. And these are very important barometers for what's going to do well at the Oscars because the actors branch, the ones that vote in the uh, Screen Actors Guild Awards, is the largest branch voting um, in the Academy Awards races. And the way that it works is that the different guilds vote in their different categories, and then everybody votes for Best Picture. When do we know so, DGA, Sean? When is that? Because uh, that's, that's the only one that I'm waiting for now, because DGA is a That's going to Mendez, dude. That's got to go to Mendez. Uh, see, I, I think Bong Joon-ho's going to win the DGA. I, I, and, and are we jumping into SAG now? I think it's this weekend. Yes, we're Sean? jumping into SAG. I want to point out that Parasite uh, ended up winning the Best Ensemble, which is the equivalent of the SAG, uh, and that, to me, is... Not throwing the race completely wide open, but it is making the race far more interesting in these final days. There's no movie at this point that fits the statistics. A lot of times right. we go, well, this movie has won this, this, this. It's nominated for these. Therefore, it's going to win Best Picture. There's right. no, Every movie that is, in theory, up for Best Picture doesn't fit the mold of, uh, yeah. of usually what you need. Like, no matter what wins— it's going to be uh, uh, sort of a record breaker in the sense that out of the yeah. ordinary. Yeah. How so? In what way? You just mean well, so 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 like Parasite yeah. and 1917 don't have no acting. Uh, acting nominations. Right. Um, uh, uh, Nin- uh, what's upon 1917 time? doesn't have editing. Is it? No, uh, 1917 1917 doesn't have editing. 19, there's no editing. Once upon a time in right. Hollywood has no editing. Right. So does Parasite uh, have editing? Parasite has editing. No, oh, it boy. doesn't. Does it? Does, does it not? Really? I could have sworn. Oh. No, am I wrong? Wait, Double check so, that. So the three movies that, that are front runners for Best Picture, none of them have an editing nomination. <laughs> and what? Who's in editing? Jake, what's the stat on editing? Like it's, it's, it's it used it's to go hand in hand. I feel like it's yeah. gotten lesser these past ten years, but they used to go hand in hand. So Irishman has it right. Yeah, no, it's it's yeah, Thelma. yeah, Thelma. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll tell you guys something that I mean I found really telling. Um, this is, and this is two experiences that I have with the movie Parasite. Is, does Parasite have editing, uh, Gabe? Okay, so Parasite does have an editing. Dude, that 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 that, that could be um, wow. uh, a solidification there. So here's two things that I find very interesting. Um, one of them is SAG Awards, and one of them is Critics Choice. Uh, I was lucky enough at Critics Choice to sit at the Joker table. As I sat at the Joker table, any time Parasite or Bong Joon-ho were mentioned, they all got up and cheered and freaked out. I've never seen other filmmakers that excited for a filmmaker or film that they're competing against and actively rooting for. And I, I was looking, like, Todd Phillips was screaming, like, like, like in a good way, like, go, oh, yeah, great, yeah, great job. He was very excited for Bong Joon-ho and Parasite, because I think Bong Joon-ho tied with Mendez for director at Critics' yeah. Choice. Okay, fast forward to SAG. Do you guys remember what happened in the room 
for SAG when they introduced standing the first, ovation like, clip. Standing At ovation. At that point, I kind of thought it room. was over. That right? was yeah. insane. Whenever they did, gave him the standing ovation, I thought, oh, I think this is over. Who is the wow. largest voters in the Oscars? The actors. Yeah, it's the okay. actors. But then so why the didn't the individual actors from Parasite get nominated? I, I agree with you. So now it's funny because last week I was 100% certain 1917 was going best picture. And then this, but the love I'm seeing for Parasite, I, first of all, I like Parasite. I thought it was very good. I just, I do find it. I don't find it to be as great as everybody else says it is, but we can get into that in a different uh, different. It would have been in my top 20. If we were to do a top 20 of the year, it would have been in my top 20. Mine too. It's very, very good. But so what do you guys make of that? I mean, so I'm at a table and Todd Phillips and the cast of Joker are are excited about Parasite. And then you have a standing ovation for only one film, really, at SAG. And it was Parasite. And the largest voting branch is Actors. I mean, you can't help but feel like the Academy might want to make history because if it wins Best Picture, it'll be the first Best foreign language film. Foreign language. But I also, sometimes I feel like that foreign language category, much like the um, Best Animated Film category, prevents that type of film oh. from winning Best. In the same way, like an animated film will never win Best Picture because they'll just give it Best Animated Film of the Year. I, I mean, sometimes I feel like, an, an old, especially an older Academy voter, will go, well, I'm giving it Best Foreign Film so I can give Best Picture to 1917 or Once Upon a Time yep. in Hollywood. You know what I think is going to happen? Uh, if you were to tell me to predict this tomorrow, I think Bong Joon-ho takes director and 17. It, which will be picture. just like last year. Alfonso takes director for sense. Roma. And then yeah. they give, and then they give uh, you know, best picture to Sean. You think we're wrong? Well, no, I think you're right. I just, yeah, I mean, that feels like that could happen. But in a year where, in my opinion, and, and I, it's so funny, like I had gotten comfortable with the fact that I'm okay with whoever wins. Like the, the only one that I'm a hard, like of the nine Jojo uh, rabbit. Yeah. If Jojo rabbit were to win, no. I, that would be the one where I'd raise my hand and just be like, what, what, yeah. what for real? The other eight, honestly, that are in best picture, you could make an argument in my, in my mind that they could win, but I'm, I'll never then get over the fact. And I don't mean to slam parasite and I don't mean it is any disrespect to Bong Joon-ho. But when when Scorsese put out one of his best films, you know, in my opinion, and and Tarantino's firing on all cylinders, and 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 again, you bring that that personal narrative of how many more is he going to get to do uh, for Quentin, you know, to to have him lose to a movie like Parasite, which I don't, which I'm not in love with, yeah, uh, but I understand it. that plenty of people are. I understand that plenty of people are. I can almost I can almost be a little bit more comfortable with 1917 winning because I just understand that a it, it strikes me as such an Academy movie. Um, and, but B, I, am super impressed by, by its technical prowess. And, and I bought into the story that they're trying to tell, but, but, but man, and Kevin, you're right with DGA. If, if DGA goes to Bong Joon-ho. I think it is. I think it's going to Mendez, dude. 1917 is a, is a director's movie. But have you noticed like this, like there's a, there's a really big wave of fandom for Bong Joon-ho. Like all of a sudden. All it, it honestly it, not all of a sudden not all of a sudden it's, it's been pretty consistent pretty big deal now I will say this he directed it's funny I, I, we did our top ten movies of the decade and one of his films was actually on that list for a while before I moved it off and I've actually been going back and forth Snowpiercer I think is an absolute masterpiece I mean I, the yeah, guy touches on a lot of similar things he's a great director he's a great yep. director but I have I have never seen people fanning out for a director. Like Todd Phillips was fanning out for Bong Joon Ho, and I was thinking to myself, maybe the, uh, it's uh, maybe it's a director thing. I mean, 
This guy, everyone loves him. Everyone loves what he does at the award show. He pulls out his phone. He records them. I mean, people are very, <laughs> they love him. They think he's hilarious and he's fun. They do. So that goes a long way. And I think there's something to be said. And it's funny because I, I would have told you Mendez had it for sure last week. But after what I saw at SAG, I'm just starting to wonder. I, well, Kevin, I have a question for you. Yeah. Personal preference. Yeah. If you had oh. to choose Best Picture, 1917 or Parasite, which one would you rather it go to? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, probably Parasite. Really? Only because I felt more emotion in Parasite. But I, and I don't want to get into an argument. No, 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 no. We we, we, yeah, we, we've discussed 1917. But, but I think Parasite... I think Parasite's a better film than 1917. I, I, but it, I don't think either of them are best picture worthy <laughs> in my personal. Let me right, let me ask you guys this. This is actually interesting because we got into a, this was a big debate last week about Greta Gerwig not getting into the director's race at the at the uh, Oscars. I think Little Women's a better film than Parasite. As do I. I would agree. I would As agree. Do I. It made my top ten. And that being said, I think Greta Gerwig should be in there. I'm not. I, I mean, I think Bong Joon Ho and uh, is a is a very good director. Um, but there's some. I'm. You know, you guys know when we get into these Oscar seasons, you start feeling something in your gut. Like you just know what you just feel like it feels right. It, mm-hmm. I just feel like there's a there's a there's a there's a wave for him. And I, I have a and, question for you. Yeah. Does does Oscar love make you like a movie less? Where like where you liked a movie, but because it's beating another movie that you love, then all of a sudden yeah. you start because because I'm I feel like I'm feeling that, that factors for in Parasite where it's just like I know I loved Parasite when I saw it. But I wanted once to win so badly. And yeah. because Parasite is becoming this movie that's probably going to end up beating once, it's making me like it less. Well, it, the, what's interesting to me, it's funny because at the end of the day, when, when we give our critical reviews of a film, it has nothing to do with the Oscars. But there is something, like like Jake said, like when it's like, you know, it's like your favorite team, right? Like we all love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We want it to win the World Series or the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean, like, it's it's not that I I don't I don't hate the other team that's playing my team. I just don't want that team right. to win because I want yeah. my team to yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting perspective. Ooh, our and team I know should it, steal signs. Yeah. Hey, oh. one of our teams did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me get to really quick uh, the lead actor categories. Where I think I know the answer to this. Renee Zellweger, Joaquin Phoenix, locked. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I think. So. I mean, Laura Dern. I, I, I love that walk. I liked Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix's speech uh, at, at SAG, uh, especially Brad Pitt's as well. I mean, uh, to me, it's funny because like at the end of the award season, we get to a point where we're just we're just almost tired of hearing people's speeches because we've already heard them a zillion times. But every time Pitt and Phoenix take the stand, I don't know what they're going to yeah. say, and it's like it's like my favorite thing ever, especially. I, I could not believe that Pitt actually called Quentin Tarantino out about the feet thing. Who do you think Pitt was looking at when he smiled and laughed? Quentin? I thought he was looking at Quentin. He was pointing at Quentin okay. like, I got you. I got you. Yeah. See, I read that as like he had run that joke by like DiCaprio or oh, something. Oh, interesting. Like, I, I love because if you watch that scene at the SAG Awards when Pitt's accepting his award for supporting actor, they cut to Margot Robbie on Dying cue. Right when he yeah. says Margot Robbie's feet, Margot Qualley's feet. And it was just so perfect. Yeah. I, I So I kind of want to know, do you think Quentin was a little like upset about that or do you think no, that he was just you think he was I cool think, with it okay because no. yeah, i feel like it's like a, it's like a, it's a known thing that no one talks yeah. about yeah you know but I mean? like no one I mean, but here's about. the deal you 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 put the shots like that in your movie <laughs> yeah you can't yes. be pissed when people bring it up and especially talk about in it. once yes once is yeah, like once is pretty, is 
his tribute to feet. You know, I, it's funny. <laughs> it, it, what's funny about that, and I don't think we've ever gotten into this discussion on the show before, uh, the, the feet aspect of Quentin's movies, but there's something about it in ones that doesn't bother me, even though it's a lot more than it's ever been, because I just feel like it was the 60s, right? Like, people were just walking around. Uh, Mark yeah. Qualley's character has armpit hair. People's feet are dirty. It was just like a just a different time. I don't know. Yeah. I, to me, it felt like it fit the time um, in this movie, so it didn't bug me. It was like, you know, you noticed it, for sure. Especially you noticed the, it. the dash yes. of the window. But, yeah. but it is an interesting thing, and I, I thought it was funny that Pitt called him out. But I know we gotta move on, but I, I, I'm just... Where are you guys at right now? Picture and director. Where are you, where are you at at the moment? I, I like kind of time stamping. I, I kind of agree with what you're saying at this point, which is a bummer, because I feel like this time last week I was saying Once Upon a Time Mendes. in Hollywood for picture. But right now I'm thinking 1917 for picture and Bong Joon-ho for director. I just think he's I think he has people love him. Sean, where are you at? I'm at 1917 for picture. I'm still holding on to Quentin for director. <sighs> See, I don't oh. think Quentin had to do Quentin does have a, he hasn't won a director anywhere. They're going to give him screenplay. and Is he absolutely getting screenplay? I think so. I mean, yes, if he doesn't win something for this movie, I will be real. I mean, like, I know Brad's going to win, but if Quentin doesn't win something, I will be so upset. Let me ask you this. Could the votes split between 17 and Parasite making Hollywood the winner? Absolutely. And, and also just the, the whole the math of the preferential ballot. Could make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See, the preferential ballot is why I think 17 wins, because it's the most universally liked film out of everybody. That, that's why Green Book won, right? Because that preferential yeah. ballot thing, and we, and we can step into this in a different show sometime, they need to change that. That is the most ridiculous, because you're basically giving the movie that was, was most mid-liked by everybody. It's almost like, like a Book. country where the, where the person that gets the most presidential <laughs> votes doesn't become president. Right. <laughs> Imagine that. Right. All right. This week in movies. Uh, the last full measure is going into limited release. Has anyone seen the last full measure? I'm really enjoying these titles that Gabe's making up. Mm. Last, no, I actually know this one. It's a war movie. I have seen a poster for it. That's a real thing. Gabe, you uh, know what? A Gabe, uh, one week. Yes. Throw a random one in there just to see if we <laughs> and can see if it. we can figure out which one it is. Just, that should be our weekly game. Gabe says uh, Sam Jackson is in it. I also want to point out to the blenders who are listening and don't get to hear him because he doesn't speak and don't get to see him. Gabe is one hundred percent team Parasite, uh, and every time that we mention anything about Parasite being really good, he gets very excited. Uh, he would put is Parasite your number one for the year? No, two, three, four. Dude, what was, dude, Quentin what called you Jason Bourne. Yeah. Yes. What is, by the way, I, I still can't believe Kevin Smith got Matt Damon to say reborn identity. <laughs> I can't believe he got him to say that line. <laughs> it's just so amazing to me. Wait, uh, Gabe, what, what, uh, I know you can't speak or just tell Sean, what's your number one, what was your number do one you of ha- the year? He doesn't do that. He, doesn't, do, he doesn't pick. Oh, no, he doesn't don't pick you that guy. What was your favorite movie? That's all, it's it what we do. What was your favorite movie? I was, I'm was. i just curious what your favorite movie was of the year. It's not no? what he does is okay. what he's saying. He, now he's saying wrap it up. Wrap, yeah, you, I, I wrap you up, sir. Yeah. All right. Did, did anybody see The Turning? The Turning? I no. want to. Finn Wolfhard. Finn Wolfhard, yes. Finn, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Wait, wait, go back. Wait. Finn Wolfhard is enough to get you to see a movie? No, 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 no. no. I like Finn, though. And, and yeah, like, like Finn's a good guy, and I, like, I usually like him in the stuff he's in, but like... Is, is anyone really going to see the new Finn Wolfhard movie? <laughs> no, but I will say this. Um, this is Wolfhard. I, I want to give him a little credit. That kid is like us. Um, he loves movies. Like, he's obsessed with filmmakers. Like, he geeks out about Roger Deakins. That's the kind of guy Finn no, Wolfhard No, no, I'm with you. I, and, I, it was just and, weird to hear just, you say, like, oh, him. yeah, I want to see I that Finn Wolfhard. Him. I don't know. 
I root for All him. Right. I, I, he's a musician. I, I like him. I, th- I think he's a he's a good dude. And I remember at the Stranger Things three junket, we did our interview, and then after the interview was over, we hung out in the room with the Duffers, and we just talked about Midsommar the whole time. Like the kid is so I don't know. I just root for him. I think he's a nice dude. All right, but a movie that you both have seen that Gabe and I have not been able to see yet and are going to go see right after we're done recording this. Give us the spoiler-free review of Guy Ritchie's new film, The Gentleman. Kevin, kick us off. Um, It's funny, like, before the show, we were all arguing. Um, So I'm actually going to apologize today because I actually do agree Gentleman's the best movie we've seen this year. Um, I love Bad Boys 3, uh, but I think Gentleman's a better made film. Um, Gentleman has a shot at my top ten at the end of the year. It's excellent. What? Yeah. What? So, I love this Wait movie. till you see it, man. It's so, okay. So you have to understand, um, I guess for me, let me, I'll, I'll give this a little bit of backstory because when I was in high school, I worked at AMC theaters and I wasn't allowed, I was like 16 when I first started working there. So I was not allowed to go to R-rated movies, even though I worked at the theater. One day I walked up to the box office and had my friend sell me a ticket for Shadow of the Vampire. And then I got kicked out of the movie and written up for it. Um, is that the so, um, the the Nosferatu what? movie? Yes, yeah. with uh, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, great movie. Anyway, Guy Ritchie. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. So Snatch comes out, and I'm like super excited because the trailer blew my mind, and it was like you know this was a the, Guy Ritchie was a big voice at this point, like, like he was about to break out. Like Lockstock was huge, but Snatch was like we're being introduced to a new style of cinema. Ritchie had a very signature style, in my opinion. So there was a Regal Cinemas up the street that I would that I would go to and I would walk up to the Regal Cinemas and I would say, hi, um, I have one ticket to Requiem for a Dream or Snatch. Uh, I forgot my CNU college ID. Can I get a student discount? So what that would do is that would tell them, one, I'm over 17 and two, they would give me the student discount and I would just be able to go. So that's what I would do. That's actually brilliant. Before going to AMC to work like a six to 11 shift, I would work in the box office. I would go to like a noon movie at Regal that I couldn't watch at the theater I worked at and then go there. So I remember seeing Snatch and sitting in that theater in Regal. And it was one of those defining moments for me as like a fan of learning a director's voice. And Snatch was just so unique. It was so interesting. Del Toro crushed it. It was just shot really well. And the reason I'm telling the story is because that's how I felt again watching The Gentleman all these years later. Um, I hadn't felt like that in a Richie movie in a long time. Um, and it, it's interesting because then it goes to say, like, you know, how good is Gentleman? Or is it just because it brought you back to Richie's style? And Richie attempted it with Rock and Roller, which was, you know, it was okay. And uh, there was Sherlock Holmes movies were fun. And, you know, I, I, didn't really, I thought Aladdin was whatever. But it, this, was, this was a return to me. So I, I got to sit next to one of my best friends in the world, Jake. And have the feeling again that I had by myself in the theater when I was 16 or however old I was when the movie came out. Didn't we look, look at each other like maybe we did. 20 minutes in and go like, this is good. This is really good. And I, I again, it was the January thing. How can this be good? Richie hasn't had a great film in a long time. And then the movie starts and it hits and it's meta, but not too meta. It's perfectly constructed. The way I envisioned the film was like a ping pong ball being going back and forth. The movie keeps you on your toes the entire time. And they, uh, th- there's even references to like 35 millimeter film. Like it, it's very like just old school Richie. I don't know. I just loved the, the way it moved. I the always way it feel flowed. like, is it, a, is it an incorrect comparison? And, and, and Kevin, tell me, shut me down if you think this is wrong. I almost feel like it obviously, obviously, obviously not to the degree of the film I'm going to compare it to. But this is almost like his Irishman in the sense that I yeah. thought like, 
oh, I didn't think I was ever going to see this kind of movie from you again. Yeah. And it's also, <clears throat> excuse me, it is not, it's in, it's in the unit, you know, it's in, it's in that, that vein of a snatch or a lock stock, but also yeah. commentates on the world of snatch and lock stock. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so it almost feels like, oh, dude, like he's, he had one more in him, you know, and, and almost like, and you know what? If, yeah. if he never makes a movie like this again, we've got a really cool little trilogy of films. Lock, Stock, Snatch, and yeah. now The Gentleman, which I think all fit really well together. The script is so tight, yeah. but so, and I don't mean this in a bad way, like so impressively complicated. It's extremely but complicated, but it never loses you. It never <laughs> yeah. loses you. I had yeah. one question about a plot point when the movie was over where I didn't super understand one thing, and someone explained it to me, and I go, oh, that makes 100%. Okay, so, so yeah. now I have no questions about the plot. It's the the dialogue is great. I was yeah. never bored. It's never slow. It slows down when it needs to. It speeds up when it needs to. It uses violence when it needs to. It doesn't when it doesn't need to. I, I, every character, if you were to ask me what my favorite character was, I'd really have to stop and think because they're all so like it's some of the best work Hugh Grant's done in years. Colin Farrell's amazing. I have never I think really it's been Hugh Grant's best performance ever. I think it's the best thing Grant has ever done. It, it's it seems like he's having such a, a fun time. I've never been a massive fan of Charlie Hunnam's acting, but it, he fits that role perfectly. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey is great. I mean, just everything about it. It's I, I really, Sean. I really, really think you're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and Hunnam, you guys are selling it. You know what? Charlie Hunnam's character reminded me of a ticking time bomb. This guy, this is it's an interesting character because he's so reserved. Um, but the guy is a, a could be a cold hearted killer if he wanted yeah. to be. And and what's interesting about Charlie Hunnam is it just it, it's the way he lets it creep out. And, and Jake knows what I mean. When people start testing him a little yeah. bit, that meanness comes out, and, and he's so good at it. And he's, he's always so listening. Great. Like like he like he yeah. might be in the side. There's a, there's a scene. I'm not going to spoil it for you. It's even in the trailer though, where Matthew McConaughey and Henry Golding are having this very tense discussion across the table yeah. from each other. And Henry Golding kind of insults McConaughey, and Charlie Hunnam, who is McConaughey's <laughs> right hand man, doesn't say anything. But he's sitting in the corner of the room, yeah. and he just like turns around to look. Yeah. Like, did you just say what I think you just like? I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything, but like, did you just, and just that slight turnaround says everything you need to know about his character that like, even when he's on the other side of the room facing a wall, he's always listening to what's going on. And it was those little details that really made me fall in love with every character. I mean, it it, it is, it's a great movie. Um, If you're a Guy Ritchie fan, there's just something about the way it returns to that. Um, It's great. I I, I was just so happy with it. It made me so, it's like Bad Boys. It made me happy to live in that world again. And there's something about those characters that he writes that is so unique to him. They even make jokes to Snatch. Don't they bring up like Brad Pitt's character kind of at one point? And gentlemen, they they refer to the, um, started with a P, um, I can't remember the name of the, uh, the name of it right now, but it was a reference, I thought, in my opinion. But, yeah, okay. Very right. good. That transitions us into this week's blend game. Uh, in celebration of one of the guys who is in The Gentleman, we are celebrating the filmography of Matthew McConaughey. And a lot of you folks played along on social media, and I was really happy to hear some people say, I don't know how to spell this, uh, but my phone apparently does. <laughs> and so they played along using hashtag Matthew McConaughey blend. Um, this led to the first uh, argument in the <laughs> Real Blend text chain today about whether yeah. Matthew McConaughey has a great filmography or not. And I, I'll go first. I get to go first. And um, when I looked at McConaughey's filmography, I realized that there are some good films, some r- good films up and down it, uh, a surprising number of bad films, 
and no film that I absolutely loved. No film that I could no point film? to and be like, I love really? this movie. No, no film? Not, not, not a one. Not a not one, one that I could say that I absolutely love. But if I had to pick, and I do for the benefit of the blend game, I'm going to go with a movie that you guys are going to tell me doesn't count. I guarantee you're going to tell me that it doesn't count. Is it a movie? Oh, it's a movie. So why why yes. wouldn't it count? Is he playing himself? Oh, are you going to say Tropic he, Thunder? It's Tropic Thunder. That's a great ah, one. Yeah. It's Tropic Thunder. But my point, it's not a Matthew McConaughey movie. He's great in that movie, dude. He's great well, he in is, that. He is, but he's not. it's not a Matthew McConaughey movie, right? Theoretically. You, some people might even forget no. that he's even in it. It's like Wolf of Wall uh, Street. He has, a, he, has he, a, he's, plays, he has a great scene. Yeah. To remind everybody, he plays Ben Stiller's agent. Uh, he is playing the cliched prototypical agent uh, who's doing everything he can to get things for his clients. Uh, his client needs DVR in the jungle. And he has uh, he's part of what I would argue uh, one of the greatest scenes ever put to film, which is uh, him and Tom Cruise when Tom Cruise is trying to convince him to sign his client's life away for a G5. <laughs> that, a G5. That Cruise No, it's incredible. Playa. And we talk a lot about... <laughs> Just lines in movies and scenes in movies that should never work. And when the leader of the to- the terrorist organization gets on the phone with Bruce <laughs> and Bruce matches up the phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, everything about it is just so wrong, but hilarious. And uh, and McConaughey in that part. So many people had to essentially check their egos at the door to make Tropic Thunder work. And it's funny because Rob Downey Jr. is making the rounds recently for his Doolittle film. Yeah. And he talked about, you know, doing blackface and, and having to do blackface for that movie. Joe and Rogan the feedback asked that he got. It. Yeah. yeah, on the Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. right? He got into that. And that's just one of the many things that happened in that film um, that you, I just don't think you could even do it today. Uh, it'd be so completely different. And I love that McConaughey, uh, it's funny, like, he goes through these different phases in his career, and it'll probably speak up when you guys pick your pick your movies, where he was the extremely handsome romantic comedy guy, you know? And then he got grungy for the indie films for a little while. And then when he showed up in Tropic Thunder, it was such a breath of fresh air to be reminded of what a personality he can be. And so um, because I don't adore... Uh, any of his films, I'm gonna I'm picking Tropic Thunder as my choice. So. I, I, I got a crazy story, a quick story about Tropic Thunder. I, I I was going out to LA to do like a um, cover the premiere. I wasn't I was just on the carpet. I you know I was just starting out. I had no idea kind of what I was doing and thinking about the cast that's in that movie that they're, and they're all walking by me and I I'm like freaking out. So all of a sudden, right in front of my face are these individuals: uh, Ben Stiller, Justin Thoreau. Matthew McConaughey, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., everyone from the film, and then random, oh and then randomly Tom Cruise. So remember, <laughs> I, I haven't seen Tropic Thunder yet, and I have yeah. no idea why Tom Cruise is standing there. I'm like, wait, that's Tom Cruise. Why is he here? It was, re- and so then I go in the movie, and, and this is a true story. I sit down in the film in, in the theater, and I watch the film, and it wasn't until the credits that I realized that guy was Tom Cruise. I didn't even put the right. two. I didn't put the two together. Because it was it's so. Crazy. I love that this movie is Sean's pick for Matthew McConaughey, and we're spending twenty minutes going. Isn't Tom Cruise great in this? <laughs> Cruise is amazing. <laughs> but, he, man. but McConaughey's in that scene, <laughs> though. He holds his own in that scene. So, so Play for your out. McConaughey pick, you're picking a scene in which he's adjacent to another really great <laughs> actor. <laughs> That's uh, how I much he hates Matthew McConaughey. Here's some of the here's some of the names of the characters play in <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Steve Coogan's. <laughs> Name is Damien Cockburn. Yeah. 
Ben Stiller, of course, Tugs Beat. Juggernauts. Brandon Jackson's Al Pacino. Al Pacino. Booty sweat. <laughs> remember booty sweat? Dude, I love, it, I love it in like Vietnam. He's like, I'm so thirsty. I gotta have some of this booty sweat. <laughs> Dude, when they made that movie, I, I was I, I was making no money at the time. I was making like 28 grand a year, like living in DC with like four roommates. I couldn't even afford to like buy food for myself. And John McThunder came out, and they sent us a case of booty sweat, what? and I drank that for so <laughs> long. It? It, it was like soda. It was like it was like a blue like can of booty sweat. And I, you I hope would, it was soda. I drank it all the time, and I'm probably gonna die early because of it. But it was. <laughs> but I used to have booty sweat. That's a cans. pretty great promo gift. It was a pretty cool promo gig. I thought it was pretty awesome. That's really funny. All right, Kevin, you're up. Yeah. I'm going to keep mine short because I've already gone into this. I mean, it's, I, I can't not oh, pick yeah, Interstellar. Sorry. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, and if you go back and listen to the um, episode we did live in Georgetown, uh, I go into a very big detailed discussion about why I think that's one of the greatest performances ever, why it's my favorite scene he's ever been involved in. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I'll, I can kind of condense it down to the sequence where uh, Gabe was over at our house, we were, we were preparing for our Real Blend show, and I discussed this more on the live episode, but we were watching just the scene when he comes back from the water planet and has to watch his children grow up over 23 years, and through messages. Uh, remember, for him, it was like, what, four hours, or sorry, for him, it was like four hours or whatever it was, and then on Earth, it was like 23 years. And Nolan purposely didn't give McConaughey the footage before that scene took place. So what we're watching is McConaughey's first reaction to the sequence. Yes, he's acting, but it's his first time seeing it as a human being, as McConaughey himself. Um, but it is, it's it's, it's a masterful performance. Um, uh, not None other than just like the idea of how Nolan shot that film. Uh, outside of the window during that scene, Nolan's pumping through that sunlight and that, that projection of whatever space is outside. It just the realism of that moment, the weight of that moment. Um, and if you think of like gravity and just things like what's going on through his mind at that moment um, is just mind blowing to me. Um, I think Nolan really truly is the star of Interstellar, but McConaughey has to carry it emotionally. And it was the first time I ever cried in a Chris Nolan movie. And there's just these like scenes that I still to this day cannot wrap my mind around. Um, that is one of them. Him literally watching 23 years of his kids growing up and his kids having kids after being gone for four hours. I mean, it's one of the most devastating things I could ever think about. And the way he plays it where he's laughing and crying, he just, it, it, it's, it's incredible. And that must have been instinctive, right? Because he hadn't seen that footage yet. That's what's even more fascinating about it. I know he's But he acting. also knew that that's the reaction that he needed to give. He True. knew, like, it wasn't a scripted that he needed to start crying? I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't read the script, so but I would assume that the reaction he gave in that scene, if it was the first take of it, was instinctual to the footage. I'm sure he knew what he was watching before going to the sequence to shoot it. But then you got to think about the sequence at the end when he meets his daughter in her 80s and she's on her deathbed and he's still the same age and looks the same age. And just the emotional weight of that. Um, that's a very complicated film that cuts back and forth between Earth and space. And McConaughey's character has to emotionally drive us through the entirety of the project. And he does. He is the through line. Him and the daughter, Murph. I mean, it, it is, that to me is the center core of why Interstellar works. And I just think that McConaughey was born for that role and that scene alone. And if that scene was the only scene he ever did, he should be proud of himself as an actor. Because that is genuinely one of the most heartbreaking and devastating performances I've ever seen from anybody and it's just genius so clearly it's interstellar my no favorite question. expression of all time is 
All right, I'm going to keep this quick. Mm. <laughs> I know. Kevin said right before. I know. Well, I already did this on the live show. I didn't want to redo it. I spent way longer on the live show explaining this because we got into the whole 35 and 65 mil IMAX stuff. But that's I just wanted to give it again in case people hadn't heard that episode. Jake warned us that we were going to hate his pick. Yeah. Um, and just a heads up, I ran this by Gabe and just said, hey, uh, this is what I'm going with. And he didn't okay. shut me down. Okay. I'm going with True Detective. Oh, okay. I, I, and, no, and, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, it's just like, not only do I think that that is his best performance, okay. I don't, not only do I think that that's one of the, not the, the, the absolute best thing he's ever been a part of, I think season one of True Detective is one of the greatest seasons of television in the history of the medium. And I think his performance in the first season of True Detective is one of the single greatest performances of all time. I mean, a, a man who is so uh, emotionally uh, haunted and and then is thrust into this case that haunts him even more. The fact that we see a man emotionally shredded, um, it's it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Like, you know, he is one of the most recognizable people on the planet, which we've talked about a lot, makes it inherently harder, you know, for someone like, a, you know, like him or, or Brad Pitt or whoever the case may be. They, they have a, a giant, they even a bigger hurdle to, to overcome to make us forget that they are who they are and, and make us buy into their character. I mean, I... I, I and, and, and Kevin uses this expression a lot. Over the course of, what was it, 10 episodes, I never once saw Matthew McConaughey. I mean, like, short of maybe, like, because he drank Lone Star. But that, that performance is simply awe-inspiring. The journey that he takes with that character. And granted, I know it's sort of cheating a little bit because he gets 10 hours to do it over the course rather than, than two or three hours with a movie. But it's unlike anything he's ever done. It's unlike anything anyone's ever done and i would put his character in that performance from the first season of true detective neck and neck with um with anything that brian cranston did with breaking bad oh whoa nah, wait a second okay, okay right, now right, hold that, that's yeah, that's, that's see, you i was you with you i was right there oh man you had me right until that moment because brian cranston not only oh. delivered the greatest performance ever on television but one of the greatest performances of all time i know here's what i would say that cranston's probably my favorite like TV performance ever, but if you were to tell me to to name top five, McConaughey belongs in the top five. Oh sure, yeah, which, which gonna, puts him around there. The reason why I, when you said your pick, there's there there's there is a reason why I, I I think that pick is completely valid. There's a the tracking shot in I think it's episode six, the six yeah. minute tracking yeah, yeah, shot yeah. of him. Uh, that that's the entire reason why I'm excited about Kerry Fukunaga's um, Bond film yeah. because of that shot alone. Um, the guy's an, a brilliant director. We also got to think about what McConaughey did in that scene. That's a, I believe it's a full-blown six-minute wonder without any stitches, and he's physically doing a ton of stuff in that shot. Is it episode six of the show? I think it is episode six. It is episode six. six, yep. If you haven't seen True Detective, uh, it, definitely watch it for every. Do you know what that, movie you should check out, Kev? What? 1917. Oh, yeah. It's like one oh, yeah. giant wonder. Yeah. And, it's, and get this dude, Roger Deakins did. And no <laughs> one's ever done this before, it's, ever. Oh, wow. It's, amazing. Wait, it's wait, the amazing. first time anyone's ever done it. Is this the movie where they say it's one shot, but they cut to black and they break the time frame? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that one. You're right. Yeah, there was no stitches in that movie. It was literally one shot. Literally. I want to. I want to make one comment about Jake's choice which is a brilliant choice uh, i caught up with true detective much later uh like way so after good. the fact I, I think they were way into like season three by the time i finally got because we don't have hbo right and well, i actually watched it on, a, on last year oh did it okay I, uh that's when i watched it i watched true detective oh. last year i watched two is it awful three is actually really good 
so I watched it on a plane, on an international flight. I got to watch the first five episodes going across and the last five coming back. And it's one of those things where the bar had been raised so high. I was like, there's just no way that this movie, that this show can be as good as everyone makes it out to be. And it was one of those things where it just knocked you completely on your ass. Like it was so unbelievably good. Woody Harrelson's amazing yeah. too. Uh, Michelle oh, Monaghan's yeah. amazing. In I actually kind of feel bad for Woody Harrelson is, because Woody Harrelson also gives one of the best performances of his career, but you, you can't top, you can't top what McConaughey does. You just can't. No, yeah. no, you can't. And, and the story's amazing. great and everything, uh, everything about that show is just, so that I can't argue with you picking it. Audience picks. Uh, Austin St. Pierre, thank you so much for sending an email to realblend at cinemablend.com to choose Sahara as his favorite, even though he would argue that Interstellar is his best. Gabby Dorado and many, many others sided with Kevin uh, and said Interstellar, and they all shouted out Kevin in their pick, saying, we know Kevin's going to pick this one, yeah. um, but they agreed with you about the fact that it's his best movie. Clint Tomerlin and a few others went with the movie Mud. I thought you were saying Eastwood for a second. I was like, I was waiting for Eastwood. I was like, <laughs> Clint right Eastwood. In? Did you guys ever see Killer Joe? <laughs> I did see Killer I Joe. I really yes. like Killer Joe. Jake, it's good. Jake, it's over you, the top. you and I got to take two seconds to break to mention Frailty. Oh, I Frailty. Our, if, if you guys were our, to make me choose a movie, I would have. If you had oh. said, oh, you can't do True Detective, you have to pick a movie, I would have chosen Frailty. Anybody out there listening to our show, if you've never seen Frailty, uh, it's Bill Paxton. He directed the film. It is truly brilliant. And McConaughey is incredible in it. I mean, that, Sean, have you seen Frailty? No, I have not seen it. Well, then maybe that might be the great movie on the list for him. I bet, Jake, he hasn't seen Frailty. What a, a better movie if you know nothing about it going in. Yes. Stay away from everything. Don't read anything about it. Just watch. Gabe, you've seen Frailty, right? Oh, it's so good. So good. So good. I am trying so hard to come up with a, do you know Clint Eastwood's favorite Matthew McConaughey movie? And I can't, I can't get it. In t- I can't get it in time. <laughs> I, I'm like running through titles on my phone right now and I can't get it. All right. Denise McAler chose uh, his award-winning Dallas Buyers Club performance. John Palmer, Jim Mehta, and many others, of course. When a movie, oh gosh, a movie that we didn't even bring up, Dazed and Confused. How do we skip over his, uh, his debut performance in Dazed and Confused. All right, again, thank you all for your participation. Uh, you can play along with our game for next week by reaching out on Twitter and using the hashtag. Now, so this comes from the fact that we had a lot of fun uh, doing Scene Blend. We really enjoyed the bigger idea concepts. It's fun to go after you know certain actors and certain directors, screenwriters, even composers. Sometimes we do that, but we like the idea of going after a bigger picture one, and we're going to do hashtag... Final line blend. So the last line yes. of a movie. Uh, so you can let us know what you I think your these, favorite. Man. I really love that. Yeah. I love the, the big. They're a lot of ones. fun. They're unpredictable. I think, you know, it allows us to really think outside the box. So let us know yours uh, by playing along on social media uh, at real blend. You can uh, use hashtag final line blend. You can also email us as a few of you are starting to do now. Uh, real blend at cinema blend.com. Hey, Sean. Jesus. Kevin, <laughs> did, did, yes. you, did you did you at least hear about Clint Eastwood's favorite Jason Reitman movie? Ooh, hmm. Tully. Jason. <laughs> <laughs> kind of works. Not really, though, because there's not enough words. But <laughs> it kind of works. Kind of like works. It. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have a review. We have a five star review from someone named Danner Bobanner, uh, who says, <laughs> <"Do> you- <laughs> who says. Do you love film with a question mark? Then you should subscribe to Real Blend. It's a wonderful mix of interviews, film discussion, and terrible puns. 
The host's chemistry shines through in every episode. I love this podcast as much as Kevin loves every movie he's seen. That's true. That's true. It's true. And then Dunkirk. So you heard it here, folks. Kevin loves every movie. The Last Jedi. Yeah, I love Tiptoes, too. It's a gr- so many great movies. 1917. <laughs> Submitting reviews, obviously, guys, is a huge way to help us uh, – Gain more support first on social media and on the Apple iTunes uh, page. We are five reviews away from having 100 reviews. We are 195 star ratings, so we're five star ratings away from having 200 star ratings. I mean, written reviews. We almost have 100 written reviews on our iTunes page, which is ridiculous to me. So thank you, everybody, who uh, submits reviews and even the people who email them to us at RealBlend at CinemaBlend.com. We will be back at it next week. I thought you were going to say uh, with that review when he says, uh, if you love movies, you're going to love this podcast. If you don't love movies, you're probably not going to like it. You're probably not <laughs> yeah, going to like it. True. Why would you follow why, why would you? Why would you? Why would hey, you? Um, you, hey, Sean, you didn't happen to hear about Clint Eastwood's <laughs> oh, Favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, did you? What have I started? What have I started? Hey, this started. is on you, dude. This is Paul on you. T- it's, inherent, it's inherent vice. Um, no, it's not. It's, there will um, be blood work. It's <laughs> pretty good. Come on. That's, that's a little, that's a little <laughs> bit of a play on Jake's joke from... Um, from the live show. Didn't Jake do a There Will Be Blood It doesn't joke matter. Nobody heard it. <laughs> yeah, He did. No. <laughs> he did too much. It's very true. All right. Listen to us uh, next week. You can also follow us on social, obviously, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, tune in next week. We'll be back at it. Uh, thank you so much. Share this episode with a very close friend of yours who loves film as much as you do and help us continue to grow the Blender family. Until next week. Oh, wait, Sean, I have one more for you, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> Clint Eastwood's it, oh favorite God, Safdie Brothers movie. <laughs> Clint uh, Eastwood's favorite Safdie Brothers movie. <laughs> Unforgiven Gems? Uh, that's good, but I'm going to botch it when I say it because it's a really hard one. Any, any, any guesses before we go? It's something to do with time. It's good time. The, uh, the good time, the bad, and the ugly. That's a good one, but what about Midnight in the Garden of Good Time and Evil? That's what I, that's what I was thinking about. Will you say Dunkirk and get us out of here? Dunkirk! Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.